0: The terrible truth, writes John C. Maxwell, is that all roads to achievement lead through the land of failure. Maxwell's failing forward made failure a desired mile marker on the path to glorious success. The book was published in 2000, and since then, failure has been having a moment. Okay. It's a a very long moment. The whole ethos of Silicon Valley hinges on failing fast. Venture capitalists knowingly build portfolios full of companies that won't ever recoup their investment. And how many TEDx talks are there on the power of resilience in the face of defeat? Now, Of course, when we talk about failure, we're not really talking about failure. We're talking about winning. We're talking about that step on the hero's journey in which it seems everything is lost just before the hero achieves ultimate success. But this is not the kind of failure we're talking about today. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores how to navigate the 21st century economy without losing your humanity. Today, we're talking about a kind of failure that really is an end in and of itself. This kind of failure recognizes that, at least in the material world, all things have a beginning, middle, and end. Today, we're talking about queer failure, or perhaps more precisely, we're talking about queering failure. Now, Maxwell's failing forward popularized a normative model of failure. We learned to perceive failure as desirable in that it was a signal that success, conventionally defined, was right around the corner. We learned to see ourselves as people who persevered and in doing so became winners The winner-loser binary that underpins the pop notion of failing is, in a way, heteronormative. That means that we perceive a certain rightness in that either-or construction. Someone is either male or female. That's heteronormative gender. Straight or gay. Heteronormative sexuality. Either you're a winner or a loser. That's a heteronormative idea of success. Nancy Harding is a scholar of critical management studies and gender. In an explainer on queer theory, Harding explains that we grow up in heteronormative cultures where the rules of gender and other identities are already set. We learn to either uphold those rules and join the dominant group, or we resist those rules and get labeled strange, subordinate, inferior, queer. Crucially, writes Harding, The dominant requires the despised subordinate in order to know itself as dominant. Queer makes straight, she says. For our purposes here, we might say that losers make winners or that the only way a winner can know they are truly a winner is to perceive that others are losers. And since nobody wants to be a loser, Any failure we experience must be a sign that we're actually winners. In this way, the embrace of failure doesn't disrupt our ideas of success or achievement. It reinforces them. It's no surprise, then, that Maxwell's book came out in 2000, at arguably the peak of neoliberalism's power. In the neoliberal order, the winner-loser distinction became stark. Middle-class life was no longer a stable existence. Either you propelled yourself into an elite group of college-educated knowledge workers or you found yourself downwardly mobile. Now, today, neoliberalism is losing its power, at least according to some historians and economists. But the winner-loser binary has never been more sharply defined. But what if we aren't all either winners or losers? What if those terms don't mean anything at all in the context of our identities, our lives, our work? What if ventures and projects can come and go without ever the question of success or failure being asked? The rest of this episode is going to be a bit different, as I'm turning over the mic to professional rabble-rouser and business whisperer Kate Tyson, although you might know her better as Kate Strathman. Earlier this year, Kate published a zine. Yeah, like a glorious 90s zine back before the internet and on-demand production gave self-publishing a makeover. Kate's zine, Impossible Business, is all about imagining the ways the business can be conceived of outside the purpose of wealth building or individual livelihood. I asked Kate if she'd be willing to read one of the pieces from Impossible Business for the podcast, and she chose Queer Failure. This piece is perfect for our current moment, one in which many people are questioning work and business and wondering how it is that success feels so utterly out of our grasp, and further wondering if success can even be justified in the 21st century. Heads up, there are a couple of curse words in the rest of this episode. And if you like this piece from Kate, and I really think you will, you can grab a copy of Impossible Business at wonderwellconsulting.com slash impossible-business. That's wonderwellconsulting.com slash impossible dash business. And you can follow more of Kate's writing at katetyson.substack.com. Now, here's Kate.
1: We tend to think of businesses as enterprises that need to last, sustain, grow, and grow some more. If you view a business as an asset, an entity that can grow and sustain value, with a primary purpose of building wealth, then it's impossible to square impermanence or failure as positive possibilities. If the purpose and logic is defiantly not about the creation of a wealth-building asset, then can we reorient around a more temporal, experimental, and ultimately failure-oriented model of business? By failure-oriented, I mean businesses that are around while they make sense, while they bring joy, while they create community, while they serve their non-capitalist purpose and then, when they no longer serve a joyful purpose, turn into compost to feed something new. In his book, The Queer Art of Failure, Jack Halberstam explores ways of being that exist beyond, as he puts it, cynical resignation on the one hand and sunny optimism on the other. And he ultimately shows pathways for living life as otherwise. He further writes, Failure, of course, goes hand-in-hand with capitalism. A market economy must have winners and losers, gamblers and risk-takers, conmen and dupes. Capitalism requires that everyone live in a system that equates success with profit and links failure to the inability to accumulate wealth, even as profit for some means certain losses for others. Halberstam helps us think about businesses that are not legible as businesses, or at least as businesses that work or make sense. In this way, a business that doesn't work, far from being a loser business, exists, again, quoting Halberstam, by refusing to acquiesce to dominant logics of power and discipline and as a form of critique. For those who are sick of hustle culture, Halberstam notes, If success requires so much effort, then maybe failure is easier in the long run and offers different rewards. To be clear, I'm not speaking of failure in the John C. Maxwell lean startup sense. Obviously, the mantra to fail early and often still points towards ultimately winning and succeeding along normative paths. Fail a little bit in a not terribly consequential way that ultimately helps you win and dominate might be a better way of putting it. So I mean failure in the sense of businesses that defy logic, that build no long-term assets, and that subversively refuse to play by the rules of winning. Fox Market opened in 2021 outside of Montpelier, Vermont. The best gay grocery store in East Montpelier. (laughs) Half market, half gay bar, selling all sorts of specialty foods, magnificent cheeses, and one of the best wine selections in 100 miles. And it's resolutely, visibly, unapologetically queer. For all the quote, normalcy of the products, like it is a nice wine and cheese shop, There's penis art on the walls. Hmm? Customers can pick up a gay kink scene alongside their morning scone. Hmm. The bathroom sign communicates that more than a threesome would be a body too far. We love the sticker machine. You get random stickers out, and they're not for kids. My girlfriend and I met some friends there one night for drag karaoke. Because we live in rural Vermont, we knew half the people. It's really hard to describe the feeling of comfort in home when inhabiting a thoroughly queer space in a rural area. If you know, you know. The karaoke was terrible in the way most karaoke is terrible. There was a strange child dressed as Wednesday Adams, alongside an adult dressed as Spider-Man. They both muttered along to Monster Mash. We cheered everyone on while ringing up a ridiculous tab on bottle after bottle of underpriced natural wine. The wine might seem too cheap, not that I'm complaining, but of course I can never turn off the consultant part of my brain that is always running a how-does-this-even-work financial ticker tape in the background of my daily life. Sometimes the glasses, an eclectic mix of jars and thrift store crystal, aren't quite washed as much as one might wish they were. It's not that these quirks spell certain failure in the this business is certainly doomed sense. I ascribe the occasionally foggy glasses to two owners that never seem to leave a business that is open from morning to late and still operating in its first year or so. My more fastidious girlfriend claims a more calculated stance on cleanliness that maps to a particular queer aesthetic, again, If you know, you know. The thing is though, restaurant alcohol markups are notoriously high. That's how food businesses usually offset otherwise slim margins. And Fox Marken is not marking up their bottles the way other wine bars do. They also cultivate a sense of deep care for community and their workers. Tips are distributed to local causes, and workers are paid so that they don't need to rely on tips for income. So I mean failure as in defying normative business. Failure in embracing the campy, odd, silly, childlike, and messy, rather than acquiescing to the seriousness of business as usual. As in, it might not last forever because some of the choices defy capitalist business logic, because those choices are designed to privilege community above asset building. In the initial months of the pandemic shutdown, Tunde Way, a multi-hyphenate who, quote, uses food to talk about important shit, published an essay via Instagram, the thesis of which was that the restaurant industry was a system so beyond repair that rather than say that, as far more famous public figures were arguing, The best outcome of the pandemic rock crisis was, in fact, to let the entire industry crumble. In Wei's essay, he writes of post-Katrina New Orleans, where the storm damage kept many restaurants closed for years, and also the bounce back a decade later, which included a resurgence of tourism, restaurants, and a confirmation that, quote, everything equilibrates back to inequality in the United States as Black workers in the restaurant industry largely remained in low-wage jobs. Way writes that the federal aid to restaurants only serves to reinforce the existing system. Quote, An industry where labor is segregated by race and gender, underpaid and uninsured. An industry fed largely by an industrial agriculture system that either extracts profits from the environment with little consequences, or offers ethically-sourced produce to just a few for a lot. Let it die. An industry where the higher end is great food at fat prices and spaces that drive up real estate values, pushing property prices higher and poorer people further. And on the lower scale, working poor people, making barely enough to keep them going, Serve low-nutrition meals to other working poor people who can't afford quality housing because of predatory development. Let it die. In this piece, Wei asks, if what makes the restaurant industry work is something inherently toxic and exploitative, then inviting failure and uncertainty might be exactly what we need to weave something different. Fox Market could hike up their wine margins, and in the process alienate and exclude the very community they open to serve and be a part of, to celebrate and even expand. If we only ever choose failure in the Maxwell sense, in an effort to ultimately win, then what game are we really playing? Can we be more interested in the other rewards that failure at business as usual might offer? I was speaking with my friend Jeff about the art of queer failure over dinner recently, and he reminded me about the Minneapolis queer art space, Madame, run by a collective for a brief couple of years as a community art space slash club slash den of frequent drag performances and experiments in collective governance. I only went once or twice as it opened after I moved away. In remembering Madame and other queer havens we frequented over the years, we started talking about the importance of myth-making to these spaces. There are always stories. That time so-and-so's boyfriend made out with someone else in the bathroom. The time that one drag queen stole the door cash from the show. The legendary pizza wrestling party. I'll pause here to tell you a bit about it. Because the grody carpets needed to be ripped up anyway when they first took over the space, one of the first events in Madame was a night of pizza wrestling, which happened exactly and grotesquely as you might picture it. Unfortunately, it took many more weeks than anticipated to actually rip up the even more grody, now pizza-soaked carpets. Um, So that happened. This is, of course, hearsay. I wasn't there. But back to my dinner with Jeff. We spoke about myth-making, not minutes, and the idea that for Madame to adopt more organizationally legible and professional norms, here symbolized by Jeff and me as meeting minutes, it would risk losing something of its messy queer spirit, as well as the purpose of the space. Formalization might have invited hierarchy or made the space legible to more normative culture and ultimately to commodification. I can't write of temporary queer spaces without weaving in the anarchist concept of the temporary autonomous zone. A TAS is a small pocket of revolution and change designed to melt away before being noticed or subsumed by the powers that be. In a similar way, failure as a business practice opens up space for rebellion, possibility, and experimentation while ensuring interventions are not commodified as capitalist success. Back to Halberstam, I quote, losers leave no records while winners cannot stop talking about it. And so the record of failure is a hidden history of pessimism in a culture of optimism. This hidden history of pessimism, a history, moreover, that lies quietly behind every story of success, can be told in a number of different ways. I tell it here as a tale of anti-capitalist queer struggle. I tell it also as a narrative about anti-colonial struggle, the refusal of legibility, and an art of unbecoming. This is a story of art without markets, drama without a script narrative without progress. The queer art of failure turns on the impossible, the improbable, the unlikely, and the unremarkable. It quietly loses, and in losing, it imagines other goals for life, for love, for art, and for being. But of course, businesses have their limits as world-changing projects. Even a business trying to exist outside of capitalist logic still has to make payroll as Sadia Hartman has written, utopias have always entailed disappointments and failures. Itain was an underthings store in Portland, Maine, that offered an inclusive mix of femme-forward lingerie, non-binary undergarments and binders, and other forms of underapparel. They created some of the most gorgeous and inclusive photo shoots I've ever seen, and innovated quad, the Queer Underwear Accessibility Department, a community-funded program distributing free gender-affirming undergarments. There was a span of a few years where I found myself visiting friends in Maine every summer, which always included a trip to Attain and a cocktail at Attain's queer sibling and one of my favorite bars, the Bearded Lady's Jewel Box next door. In 2020, Attain's owner Mac after dedicating more time to activist endeavors during the pandemic, closed the business, posting a manifesto-like letter on their website with the announcement. I'll read an excerpt. Amidst this months-long tidal wave of monumental human action, the news I'm here to deliver feels easy. Attain will close permanently by the end of September. Why? Because I'm mad as hell. Our city and our society consistently prioritize business and property over the safety and dignity of our most vulnerable community members. People who know what they need and are continually gaslit, patronized, and ignored. And I'm tired of straddling the line between business owner and activist. I opened the shop with a set of values that have evolved and shifted over the years. But the past few months have confirmed that the shop cannot survive with those values intact. And that is absolutely fine. Because guess what? It's just a business. We need so much more than that right now. We have always needed so much more. I've read this letter many times, and I often think about all that I have not and do not have time and energy for because of my business. I massively downscaled Wanderwell in early 2022, rehoming two-thirds of our clients, which resulted in both managing a smaller team and many fewer clients, and, more importantly, much more space and better mental health for myself. After choosing to fail at scaling, I have never felt so liberated in over a decade of business. One of the benefits of running a a business is that I've been able to once again find my way back to presence, with friends and my beloved partner, with community, with meaningful activism. I currently find deep, meaningful, satisfying work within the container of Wanderwell. And I'm also not sure if I'll do it forever. Failure invites us to consider that our attention and what we choose to devote ourselves to can change and should change. Failure can be a quiet refusal of dominance we have no wish to take part in. Failure revels in the finite, in the emergent idea that we do indeed live in a cyclical universe. Consider that to get somewhere else and imagine and change systems, inevitably we must side with failure. Experiments that only succeed are not experiments at all. They are acts of domination. And we should ask, who has agency for imagination and the economic and energetic space to engage creatively with new economies? Often those of us who have failed at reaching those, quote, specific forms of reproductive maturity, which Jack Halberstam writes about in The Queer Art of Failure, We also need more support structures. Runway's universal basic income pilot launched in 2020 to support Black entrepreneurs and as a response to the racialized component of failure and to create communities of friends and family that, while rooting for success, will open up entrepreneurial risk-taking to those that have been structurally barred because financial failure is too large a risk to take. One of the tricky things of even looking at businesses as spaces for imagining a different future is that we inhabit a dual existence in doing so. We must support and sustain ourselves and our families, while at the same time pushing for a radical, abundant, and equitable future. There's tension in that split existence. When do you make a choice that is about your own survival and livelihood? And when do you make a choice that is about the abundant future? We will perhaps, inevitably, come to junctures where those two selves are not reconcilable. As Tunde Wei has written, not having money is a fucking problem, and that's why people need to work. But having money is not a solution, especially when you don't have enough. These irreconcilable paths are where we meet the limits of what an individual business can see or do. The impossible choices and compromises that we will face point to the necessity of building economic and financial infrastructure, the plumbing of the abundant economies we envision. Failure as a thought experiment is one thing, Failure is an actual circumstance that leads to consequences such as losing basic rights and needs like housing and health care, and a society that does not provide them is another. Part of building the plumbing and the infrastructure, as runway is, involves creating the circumstances where a failure need not be so dire. Our precarity is largely a result of the lack of care we take with each other as a society. <music> A couple years ago, I facilitated two cohorts of business owners exploring radical business practices and thinking. And I was struck by the limits of the answers to the question of what these owners would do with abundant surplus if they had it. Mostly the answers amounted to shoring up individual survival, funding a retirement account, taking care of parents and elders, paying off a mortgage. And it made me wonder, were our health care not tied to employment, our housing not tied to banks and landlords, and our childcare not tied to a third of our monthly pay, what would we be able to imagine differently? It shouldn't be news that there's no eight-step program to build a better possible world. By knitting together failure alongside hope for change, I mean instead simply to provoke the imaginary and inspire thinking along pathways that exist outside of the success ladders we've come to know. My hope is that examples of businesses that exist outside of the usual success-oriented and individualist norms inspire us to notice the margins and the edges. And I hope that these ideas implant a nagging feeling somewhere in the back of our brains that to succeed in our current economy may mean that we've failed at the collective one and that loosens us up to accept and invite generative
0: forms of failure. Huge thanks to Kate Tyson for sharing her essay, Queer Failure, which is featured in her zine, Impossible Business. Download your copy at wonderwellconsulting.com and follow Kate's writing on Substack at katetyson.substack.com. What Works is a production of Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Our production assistant is Emily Kilduff. This episode was written by Kate Tyson and edited by me, Tara McMullen. Marty Seafelt is our audio engineer. Sean McMullen is our executive producer.